are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk about a Hall of Famer calling out Luka and Kyrie. And it's just not any Hall of Famer. It's a Hall of Famer that's got ties to the Mavericks. Current ties to the Mavericks. We're going to talk about that jumbled Western Conference yet again. Something I noticed yesterday that I did not notice until yesterday. A little golf. Masters starts this morning. We're going to talk a little bit more. One last stat about UConn. I feel like I'm finding a new stat about UConn every single day that their dominance and how they played in the Final Four, all this stuff. And then Shohei Otani sets yet another record last night in their baseball game, a 4-3 win, I believe, over Seattle. But it's a record that is a little bit, well, we're seven games into a season, and he's already set a record that is of the negative variety. We'll talk about that momentarily. I do want to start, though, with a Hall of Famer calling out the Dallas Mavericks, in particular calling out Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. Tim Hardaway Sr., a recent Hall of Fame inductee, went on a radio show and talked about why he feels the Mavericks had faltered this season. And he said, quote, that trade wasn't for them, talking about the Kyrie trade. What isn't broken doesn't need to be fixed. They're missing a leader out there. Luka is not a leader. Kyrie is not a leader. Jalen Brunson was a leader. A leader shows by example, too, by playing defense. When he says something, he does it also. That's what a leader is. And like I said, those two guys are not leaders. They're complementary, dominant, great basketball players, great scorers. End quote. Now, you might be saying, why does anyone give a shit what Tim Hardaway thinks of the Mavericks? Well, his son is on the team. So now you're wondering... Did Tim Hardaway Sr. just come up with that take all on his own? Did Tim Hardaway Sr. just make that take by watching the team all season? Or did he form that take because he speaks to his son on the phone or in text messages, and these are kind of the rumblings around the Mavericks roster? I'll tell you one thing. He's right. You know me. I'm a Mavericks season ticket holder. And Luka Doncic is easily one of the five best players in the NBA. Could even argue he's top three. But I will say this until the cows come home. He's now five years into the league, and I feel that he's not getting any better. He's having a great statistical year. They might not even make the playoffs. Do you really think I give a shit that he averages 33-9-8 or 9-7 and seven if they don't even make the playoffs? And if they do make the playoffs, they're getting in as a 10 seed. So they're going to have to go 2-0 and in the play-in games to even make the 8 seed, which I don't think they're going to do. This team is either not making the playoffs or they're getting bounced in the play-in games. Because right now they're tied for 10th with Oklahoma City. They have to go 2-0, and and Oklahoma City has to go 1-1 and over the last two games, or else the Mavericks don't even make the playoffs. So don't tell me about Luka's stats. I don't care. I've watched him long enough. For five years, I've watched him in Dallas, and I'm sorry. He's a whiner. 
He's a baby. He comes in out of shape. And honestly, I don't think he makes the players around him better. You can say, Steve, he gets guys open shots on double teams. Yes, he does. But to me, that's not making them better. That's just getting them open shots. Tim Hardaway Sr. is absolutely right about Luka. He's not a leader. Guys aren't getting on that guy's shoulders. He's not leading them. He seems to be, like, look, we're five years in. He still has a lot to learn. He's only 23 or 24. He still has a lot to learn. But there's a part of me that thinks, right now, Luca's a stat guy. He loves his stats. He loves throwing out triple doubles and having 50 and 60-point games. He loves it. But if your team doesn't make the playoffs, who gives a shit? You're not leading anybody. I just don't see team. I don't see players rallying around him. It, look, leaders can leaders can work in in different ways. You can have vocal leaders, someone like Draymond Green, who has a loud voice. But the Golden State Warriors are not the Golden State Warriors, and don't win four titles in eight years without Draymond Green. And you've seen his statistics. Guy doesn't even average double digits. He's probably like eight, nine, and five across the board. Yet. He is the glue. Everybody in Golden State knows he is the glue that holds that team together. The other guys are all the Flash. The Splash Brothers. Last year, Andrew Wiggins stepped up. But Draymond Green is their defensive stalwart, and he has been for all their title runs. And if Draymond Green doesn't kick LeBron James in the nuts in game four, of whatever final that was, when they went up 3-1 and he doesn't end up missing game five, Golden State probably has five titles in eight years. But that's neither here nor there. Getting back to Luka. I've watched this guy in person I don't know how many times. This year, not many. I only went to four games this year. But Tim Hardaway Sr. is right. Luka's not a leader. You're not leading because you can score a lot of points. When your body language sucks, when all you do is complain to the refs, when you don't play a lick of defense, how can you get your team behind you? Look at the amount of points since March 17th, you know, the stretch run for the Mavericks, where they needed to win games. And by the way, they are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. Gave up 110, 112, 127, 117, 110, 104, 116, 129, 132, 119. No, that's not all on Luka. He can't defend everybody on the court. I get that. This team was poorly constructed. But now they want to re-sign Kyrie. They're 8-15 and 15 since signing Kyrie. What makes you think next year is going to be any different? Obviously, you'd have to retool the roster, but when you don't know who you can get, I... I think Luca needs to do a real hard look at himself and understand what it takes to be a leader and a winner in the NBA. Because right now, they're not going to win a play. Even if they get in to the play-in and go 2-0, they're going to get Denver in the first round. They're not winning a series this year. So that means that ever since the Dallas Mavericks won the NBA title in 2011, they've won two playoff series, and that was last year. Two in 12 years. 
But until last year, they had won zero. <laughs> That's embarrassing. That's 12 years of incompetence by this front office. And you've got a generational player on your team, and you've basically failed him four out of your five years because you can't put a team around him. You don't know how to put a team around him. And you know what? I'm almost siding with the team on this because I think Luka is very hard to play with. He's too ball dominant. He wants the ball all the time. You can't have a usage rate that he does in the 36 and 38%. And, I've, you know, I, I, those of you that don't watch Dallas Mavericks basketball, just trust me on this. Their offense consists of Luka dribble, 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 try and get double teamed to find an open guy. And then if no one can create a shot, which usually isn't the case before Kyrie came around, chuck the ball back to Luka with four or five seconds left on the shot clock and have him bail you out. Their offense is like the 2016 Rockets with James Harden. It's just one guy dribbling around, four guys standing around, and that'll never, ever, 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 ever work in playoff basketball. It's why the Rockets and the Suns never won those years. You just can't win that way. You can't win with five guys standing around the perimeter and just hoping to get hot for four series and just nail three-pointers all day long. You can win a couple games like that. You can maybe win a series or two. You're not winning the NBA championship with Luka dribbling around and just trying to find a, a double team so he can find the open guy, which he does all the time, but you're never going to win a championship that way. He has to learn how to play off the ball because when they got Kyrie, all these two do is basically rotate. If Kyrie rings the ball up, go watch Luka on any offensive possession. He just stands there. Because he's basically taking a break, like, okay, this is where I take my break. I'm going to let Kyrie go to work because I know he can beat anybody off the dribble. I know he can pull up on somebody. I know he can drive on somebody. I'm just going to stand here. I can't remember the last time Luka came off a pick in five years. There's no offense run for him. He creates his own. Yes, I understand he can, and he can take anybody off the dribble, and he's basically unguardable. But when you get to the playoffs, that just doesn't work. You've got to move on offense. Ever watch the Golden State Warriors play and how many picks are set for Steph and Clay and how many picks Steph and Clay are running off to get open? Luka just stands there. When he has the ball, you dribble, 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 take somebody back, you know, step back three, or take somebody the hole. It can't be guarded. I get it. But you're never going to win an NBA championship that way. So I talked about how the Mavericks currently tied with the Oklahoma City Thunder. 38 and 42. They both have two games left. The Mavericks have to go 2 and 0, and Oklahoma City has to go 1 and 1. Mavericks have to finish ahead of Oklahoma City. They can't finish tied. They have to finish ahead of them for them to get the 10 spot, which means they would play right now Minnesota, and the winner of that game would play the loser of the Lakers and Pelicans, who are the 7 8 game. But here's the interesting thing about the Western Conference. We've told you all season long how crazy it is, and after the top three seeds, it's just a bundled mess. Seeds 5 through 10 are only separated by four games. Now, granted, there's only two games left in the season, so it doesn't matter now. But it was like that all season. But here's something that I didn't even notice until yesterday. Every team in the Western Conference has a losing record on the road, except for the Sacramento Kings, who are 10 games over 500 on the road. 25 and 15. Yet there's the number one seed, Denver Nuggets, at 19 and 20 on the road. The two seed, Memphis Grizzlies, at 15 and 24 on the road. The four seed Phoenix Suns at 17 and 23 on the road. The five seed Golden State Warriors at 9 and 30 on the road. Clippers are 20 and 20. Lakers are 20 and 21 after losing last night on the road 
to the Clippers, even though it's their arena. It was a road game for the Lakers. Pelicans, 15 and 25. Timberwolves, 19 and 21. OKC, 15 and 25. Mavericks, 15 and 26. I mean, outside of Denver, who's one game under, and the Clippers, who are 500, and the Lakers, who are one game under, everyone else is like literally seven games or more under 500 on the road, which means I think we're going to have a lot of long series in the Western Conference because. You might want to lean towards the home teams. A lot of money line home teams in the Western Conference. I these teams aren't all of a sudden just going to be great on the road come playoff time. Wow. And then you compare it to the Eastern Conference. Five of the top six seeds in the Eastern Conference all have winning records on the road and good ones. The Bucks are 12 games over on the road. The Celtics are nine games over. The Sixers are seven games over. The Knicks are eight games over. And the Brooklyn Nets are three games over. So they can all win on the road. Western Commerce teams can't do shit on the road. These are some awful, awful records. One final note from UConn's dominant run. I've given you all the numbers. They've won five national championships since 1999. They've been to the Final Four six times. And they've won the national championship. Every time they've gotten to the Final Four, they've won the national championship, except for 2009, where they lost in the semifinals against Michigan State. But people are talking, are they the new blue blood? I think you got to include them. They've won more titles than anybody outside of in, in, since 1999. And there's only two teams that even won three. They've won two and a half times more national championships than anybody in college basketball in the last 25 years outside of Duke and North Carolina. You got to make them a blue blood, whether you want to or not. They are a dominant college basketball program. And when they get there, they win. Five out of six tells you that. The Masters starts today in Augusta, Georgia. The favorites, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Scott Scheffler. I'd be surprised if one of those three didn't win it, but obviously on a four-day tournament, anybody can get hot for four days. So, you know, you expect those guys to be up there. You know, would you be surprised if, like, they weren't even in contention? I I would be. I would think on Sunday at least two or three of the – two of those three are going to be there. An interesting statistic in regards to – quite a few here in regards to Augusta. If you're looking to bet, it might be too late by the time you listen to this, but – here are some statistics regarding golfers and Augusta. I mean, these are just great nuggets to chew on if you're looking to bet the Masters. I know Rory is a favorite. Here's something to keep in mind. Of the five players in the Masters era who, complete, who completed the career Grand Slam, each of them needed three or fewer starts in the, na- in the major that they needed to win and finish off the Grand Slam. This is Rory's ninth attempt at the career Grand Slam because he hasn't won the Masters. He's won the British, he's won the U.S. Open, he's won the PGA. So history says if you don't get it quickly, you never will. Doesn't mean he can't win, but history isn't on his side. These are all coming from Chris Felica's Twitter account. The last seven Masters winners were either ranked number one in the world or they were outside the top ten. Last player ranked within the top ten but not ranked number one to win it was Jordan Spieth in 2015. Five of the last six Masters champs either led or held a share of the 54-hole lead. Each of the last three led by at least three shots entering the final round. Here's something to keep in mind for the first round. 
While you can't win the Masters in round one, you can certainly lose it. 16 of the last 17 Masters champions were inside the top 10 after the first round. Only exception was Tiger in 2019, and he was 11th. So you can say that the last 17 Masters champions were top 11 after the first round. The other interesting statistic is that the last five Masters winners had an average score of 68 in round one. So if a good golfer shoots, uh, you know, kind of balloons up to a 74 or 75 today, chances are he's not winning. Six straight and nine of 11 majors have been won by a player in their 20s. The last player not in their 20s to win a major was Phil when he won the 2021 PGA at 50 years old. This doesn't bode well for Justin Thomas and that statistic I just read about the first round. Only once in seven Masters has Justin Thomas opened with better than a 73. That was in 2021 when he had a 66. If you want somebody to not make the cut, who's somewhat of a big name, bet Bryson DeChambeau not to make the cut. He has shot 75 or worse in five of his last six rounds at Augusta, and he's opened with a 76 the last two years. Tiger, look, like I said yesterday, it would be a great story, would be the best theater ever if Tiger Woods is playing and competing on the back nine on Sunday. However, since he won in 2019, his weekend rounds have been 78, 78, 72, 76. So if he even makes the cut, maybe a bet against him heading into the weekend. John Rahm, one of the major favorites, just two of his last 10 rounds at Augusta have been under par. And each of them came on the Sunday the last two years, meaning he was pretty much already out of it and was able to put together an under par round. Brooks Kepka has missed the cut in each of his last two Masters, combined 11 over par. Each of Rory McIlroy's last four first rounds of the Masters have been over par. So that doesn't bode well, as I told you. Last five Masters winners, average score, 68 in the first round. Rory's last four Masters first-round scores, 73-76, 75-73. Cam Smith, a solid bet, has spent nine of his last 12 rounds inside the top 10 at the Masters. Max Homa, who is kind of the sleeper that everybody seems to be picking, has not fared well at the Masters. Since he shot 70 in the opening round in the Masters of 2020, He's gone 75, 74, 74, 74, 73, 77, 78 with a pair of missed cuts and a tied for 48. So he hasn't played well at the Masters either. There's a few more here, but those are probably the biggest ones. So if you're interested, it's Chris Felica on Twitter, at Chris Felica on Twitter, F-A-L-L-I-C-A. And it seems like we're going to end this with baseball. Seems like every day we're hearing something. Every time he takes the mound or takes an at-bat, Shohei Otani is breaking some sort of record that has stood since, you know, 1901. I mean, what he's doing in baseball is utterly ridiculous. There's nobody. I mean, he's the best player in baseball. You can't argue it. You know why? Because nobody in baseball does what he does. Nobody pitches and starts 30 games a year and also hits 35 to 40 bombs a year. You you might say somebody's a better hitter. You might say somebody's a better pitcher, but nobody's a better player because nobody's doing that. However, yesterday, 
One week into the new season with the new rules, he has set a dubious record. He is the first player ever, and he probably is going to be the only one that has this record for a long time, to commit a pitch clock violation as a pitcher and also as a batter. And considering pitchers don't bat anymore, I don't really know how that record is going to be broken. But yesterday in the game, he had a violation, pitch clock violation as a pitcher, took too long, and as a batter as well, got a a strike called on him for taking too long. So the first negative record that Shohei Otani has achieved. Sorry, Shohei, you can't own every great record. But what he's doing is amazing. The only problem is he plays on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, who nobody cares about. And if you think Shohei Otani is going to play his whole career in Los Angeles, at least for the Angels, you'd be sorely mistaken. That guy is as good as gone. He gets to a major market. So many more people will be talking about him. So many more people will get to see him play. He's unreal. Guy throws 98 on the black. He's got a slider that is one of the best in baseball. And then he turns around and he hits, you know, 40 bombs a year. And drives in 100 runs. It's 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 unbelievable. But nobody, I don't say nobody, but the casual fan is like, oh, yeah, he's really good. I don't think they understand how good he is because they don't see him because the Angels never make the playoffs. Major League Baseball needs a guy like Otani and Mike Trout, for that matter, to be on playoff teams every single year. They are arguably the two best players in baseball, and Mike Trout has been to the playoffs once, and they got swept in three games by the Royals, and he went one for ten, I think. He's had one playoff series in his career. He's arguably the best player in baseball. Now they've got Otani, and in the five years that Shohei Otani has been on the team, they've never even been a 500 team. This is why baseball has a problem. When your best players can't get showcased in the postseason – why, are any, why is anyone going to care? There's only so much the Angels can do. They're trying, but they've just been terrible. So, you know, so I, I don't think he's going to be there much longer. I think Otani's going to end up on a major market team. He's going to be a Met or a Yankee or a Dodger or a Cub or a Red Sox. It's, it's inevitable. He's not going to stick around in L.A. when their team sucks. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple Podcasts. Earlier today, the Daily Roundup is in your feed. In an hour from now, podcast number 333 with Morgan Willette will be up on your feed as well. So check that out. Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you. Oh, the best, oh, the best.